chapter 1. We are in verses 18 through 20 tonight. Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. We are trucking along. Three whole verses tonight. Eighteen through twenty, there says. Then, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him fifteen days. I didn't see any other other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. That's all we're getting to tonight, because twenty-one through twenty-four would have taken a little longer than this will take, and that was too much to all talk about all in one night. So we're gonna eh, maybe get out early. Who knows? Um, I won't make a promise. All right, so there, just a reminder of where we are, four proofs of uh, the non-human origin of Paul's conversion or his gospel. That's what he is talking about here. We are, uh, we're on proof number two. Proof number one was verses 13 through 17 that we looked at way back in May. Uh, That was Paul's religious background didn't account for his conversion. He's putting it all on Jesus is what he's doing. He's saying nothing in my past, nothing about the apostles. All of my conversion, the, the gospel I preach is all about Jesus. Uh, that was proof one. Proof two is what we're looking at tonight, verses 18 through 20. This is why we're looking at it uh, in one compact uh, little little group here. Uh, and his, his argument here, his second proof, is that he was not commissioned by the Jerusalem church. Remember? Uh, why he's doing this. The, the folks uh, are telling him, or the folks in Galatia are saying, he's not preaching the right gospel. He's not, he's not preaching the full gospel. That's because, and it depended on who they were talking to at the time, rumors usually do, or false accusations usually do. And this person say, well, he, he doesn't preach enough Jewishness in it. And this person says, well, he's too lenient on the law here. And this one says, well, he's too much about the law there. And, and it just depend on who was arguing at the time about it. So one of the charges against Paul now is that he had received the gospel from the Jerusalem church and then changed it. Now, I know I reminded us way back when we started Galatians. We don't have, but but I'll remind you again, we don't have the direct charges from the people. Um, What we have is Paul's conversation on the phone and we're standing in the room with him. So we are basing everything we assume the people in Galatia, the Judaizers, were saying. We're basing what we think they were saying on Paul's answers. Imagine that you're in the room with somebody who's on the phone. And you hear on their side of the conversation, uh, yeah. Yeah, I did do that. Well, no, what I meant to say was something totally different from what they said. No. No. Well, we can talk about it later. No, they're wrong. I said, I said Jesus loves them. No, I never said that. Now, what are they talking about? Oh, no. And that's basically what we're having to do. Now, we've got a few more details because Paul was writing and he was, he was answering charges point by point. But that is, in a sense, what we have to do with the letter to the Galatians. Actually, a lot of the letters. 
where he didn't reference something in particular that we could pull from and say, oh, okay, yeah, he's talking about this, these things. So, so that's what we're doing, all right? Just a reminder, I know it's been a while since we talked about some of these things. So that's what we're doing. And, and one of the apparent charges is that, oh, he got the gospel from Jerusalem, they commissioned him, then he left and, and messed up the gospel, didn't preach the gospel they taught him to. That's one of the charges. Uh, or uh, another way of putting that is he preached a derivative gospel and was a renegade disciple of Peter. That's uh, another way they might have put it. Again, based on what his answers were. So Paul is going to say here in this part, in these three verses, that he did not get his commissioning or his understanding of the gospel from Jerusalem. He's going to talk about those uh, what he did when he was in Jerusalem. Verse 18. After three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, to get acquainted with Peter. In verse 18 is what he's doing. That three years... Is three years after his conversion, after his conversion in uh, on the road to Damascus, after the time he spent in Damascus, and then maybe some time in Arabia. But it could have been those three years uh, in uh, could have spent those three years in Damascus. The the pertinent verses, uh, if I can find them in a hurry, in Acts where he talks about that his conversion is in chapter nine, I think. Yeah. So uh, his his time spent in Damascus is verse is uh, is Acts nine nineteen. Um, it talks about he was in Damascus after taking some food. He regained his strength. Saul was with disciples in Damascus for some time. As all as all it said is all it says there. Uh, he taught the synagogues. People were amazed. It it, it, uh, it blew their minds. Um, they tried to kill him, so they, this is when they lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. And then verse 26 of Acts, when he arrived in Jerusalem. We don't have timing or anything on that. We don't know what happened between lowering the wall, the wall and going to Jerusalem. But we're pretty sure that those three years he's talking about here, three years after his conversion, spent at least part of the time in Damascus. He says, I went to Jerusalem then... For basically fellowship and partnership. Hey, get to know these guys that, you know, three years earlier I'd have killed if I'd seen them. I mean, that's always a conversation you want to have with somebody, right? Uh, Hey, you know, sorry about the whole trying to kill you thing. Um, But that's what he did. And and go to to show himself, because we're going to talk about this uh, a little bit later on. Uh, Another one of the proofs is... uh, in the next passage, 21 through 24, I guarantee you they were hearing about this guy named Saul who was there when Stephen got stoned, but now is a Christian and is evangelizing and teaching? Come on now. Come on now. I mean, there miracles happen, but this is Saul we're talking about. That was probably some of the conversation. So Paul goes to Saul. Paul goes to Jerusalem for this fellowship and partnership, and he, he met Peter. This was not, and he is making clear, this is not for training or authorization or even validation in what he was doing. This was not Paul going to, quote, kiss the ring. And of course, that brings a whole, has a whole different significance when you consider that there are those who believe Peter was the first pope and the, the papal uh, ascension, accension, Passing on the papal job. 
from Peter all the way down, and they would literally go and kiss the ring. That's not what he was doing. He wasn't going to see the Pope here, so he could get so he could learn and be trained and, and all that stuff. Besides, he said, "I was there 15 days." That's not really enough time to do uh, training, authorization, and validation. Um, if they had had a 15-day seminary, I'd have done it, and you wouldn't have hired me. I mean, that's just the way it is. That, that's, that was not be enough time. Oh, he spent 15 days in seminary. Well, he should know enough stuff by now, right? No. So the idea that, and that's the, what Paul's saying, the idea that I could have done any of the thing like that, gotten all this stuff and then perverted it, basically, in 15 days is crazy. If you want to turn back to Acts 9, it tells us what he did while he was there. We have his travel log that uh, Luke put together for us in Acts. Verses 26 through 30 starts it. He says, when he arrived in Jerusalem, Acts 9, verse 26. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was the disciple. Told you I was an awkward conversation to have. Sorry about trying to kill you three years ago. And Stephen, that's a really sad thing too, guys. Sorry. Um, since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, and if you do the, what's our Bible study, what's our Bible studies for life, if that's your Sunday school literature, you talked about Barnabas this morning and what he did. Um, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So apparently that occurred in 15 days based on what uh, what we have here. He, he met them. There, nope, uh, 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 uh. Barnabas shows up, says, "No, he's cool, y'all." And so they go out door to door evangelism to the Jews. And within 15 days, they decide Paul's a little too good at this; he needs to die. And they ship him off to Tarsus to, to save him. Uh, then, if you flip on over to Acts 22:17-21, you get a little more of what he what was going on. There and he says, uh, after I returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and saw him telling uh, telling me, "Hurry, uh, get out of Jer- and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me." But I said, "Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you in prison and beaten." And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. He said, Jesus said, go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Apparently that happened while he was in Jerusalem at this time too. So, we, we got all those things that happened in 15 days and those make sense. So Paul's saying, look, no, I didn't learn it, didn't get authorized, didn't take their message and mess with it and make it my own. Because that's not what happened. Verse 19, he goes on to say, I didn't see any other disciples except James the Lord's brother. Uh, this would be James, the brother of Jesus. Now there is some discussion about who this James was and what he, what Paul means by apostle here. Uh, there was the apostle James, brother of John, 
but could not be that guy at this point because that guy's already dead. Uh, uh, one of the Herods, I think, has already killed him, killed him with a sword. Uh, so timing-wise, this couldn't be that James that he's talking about. Uh, there is another James of uh, the apostle, James the son of Alphaeus, if you remember your uh, disciple song. Um, set to the tune of bringing in the sheaves. How many know the song I'm talking about? There were twelve disciples. Jesus called us to help him. Simon Peter, Andrew, James, brother John. James, son of Al. Yeah, you go. There, that's one. It's the way to learn the disciples, y'all. It's the way to learn the books of the Bible. Put them to music. You'll remember them that way. Trust me. So, wasn't that guy, not the apostle, uh, son of Alphaeus, because as I put there on the slides, he was insignificant. Doesn't mean he was insignificant in the kingdom. That just means that we don't have any literature about him. He doesn't seem to have been a, a higher leader in the church. Uh, there's nothing written about him. Nothing in the New Testament about him. Nothing in, nothing in extra biblical literature about him. Uh, there's a third James. James, the father of Judas. Not Judas, the, Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas. Uh, there were two Judases in the, the apostles. There were two James in the apostles. And one of the Judas's father's name was James. Um... Not that James, because again, we don't know anything else about him except he's mentioned to differentiate Judas, this Judas, from Judas Iscariot. So the fourth James that it could be is James, the brother of Jesus, who very likely was the author of the letter that we have titled James. It was that James. Um, that James was, uh, we understand, so pious at the end of his life that he was martyred, he was killed by being thrown from the top of the temple wall and he landed on his knees and it didn't kill him so they had to uh, oh, I can't remember if they whacked him in the head or killed him with a sword, but anyway they finished him off, but just falling on his knees didn't kill him because he spent so much time on his knees, the, the story goes that the calluses had built up such that that fall didn't kill him, it broke him up pretty good, but it still didn't, still didn't kill him. Interesting thing about that James Remember that none of his family believed he was the Messiah except Mary. His brothers and his sisters thought he was nuts. So this is the guy that, one of the guys, that the brother that said, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's my brother. Yes, he's got a Messiah complex. Yeah, I know. Didn't believe it. None of them did. But through the years and after the resurrection... They got it. James was very likely there, was was there. We have uh, various points throughout Acts that talks about him. Uh, was there at the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. Uh, he was quickly raised to a position of leadership in the, in the Jerusalem church. Um, wrote the book of James uh, that probably came out even before uh, the letter uh, written by James. That came out before the whole... Uh, 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 circumcision discussion and how much of the law do we have to follow and that kind of thing. Uh, James, the, the letter, we'll, we'll discuss it someday, very much, hey, you know, a Christian looks like this by his actions. And if you're not acting like it, you probably aren't. And then Paul balances that out with, yes, but remember there's grace. So even when we fail doesn't mean we're not Christian, and, and those two, some people would say they're opposed. No, they're, they're the, the teeth of a zipper. Uh, both of those close up the gospel and, and, and seal a Christian, the grace and the life that shows it. So, that's the James. 
Uh, now, Paul considers him here, maybe, an apostle. James was not an apostle by our definition. By our definition, an apostle was one who spent time and learned directly from Jesus. The disciples were the apostles. The disciples, the twelve disciples, minus Judas, plus uh, Matthias. uh, Did I say that right? Yeah. Uh, Plus the one they cast lots for in the upper room. Plus Paul. Those were the apostles. This James was not an apostle. So what did Paul mean? Did he consider him on par with the apostles? It's possible. It's possible that James, even though he didn't believe, hung around Jesus, was around when he did his teaching, so he could go home. Um, maybe, uh, maybe James was like a little, little brother. And he was the one who tagged along to everything Jesus was doing and then went home to tattle on him. Jesus said he's God again. You know, maybe he was that kid. Uh, maybe he just... Uh, Paul was saying who, and this is kind of in the Greek phrasing, who some consider an apostle or is like the apostles. Doesn't matter really other than to understand Paul considered James to be in an an in an important position. Now later on he's going to say so-called pillars of the church and he's going to make those comments and we'll talk about that when we get there. But right now, he's lumping James in with leadership. And that's the James that we're talking about. And, and really, the thing I want to focus on is he's the brother who denied his own brother was the Savior. But later, you know what? I was completely wrong and became this position. Got into these positions of leadership because, because of his great piety and his great faith. And then in verse 20... Paul says, I testify before God. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. And this testifying before God uh, can go two different directions. In in Rome, it could be uh, a, a legally binding, voluntary oath designed to settle a dispute out of court before a trial begins. It's, hey, y'all, before we even go to trial, before we even... Pay the expense of the lawyers before we go to that uh, point. I promise you, I make an oath that this is true and it's legally binding. It's just like we went to court, we don't have to spend the money. That was a, a tradition, that was a, a, a rule of the law in Rome. It could have been that, but depending on who you read, it could have also been the final word in a trial. Uh, It's an oath regardless. It it brings to mind Roman courts. It it brings to mind uh, the fact that it's it's unassailable. Okay, it is absolutely true. He's making the strongest oath that he can. That he's not lying about this stuff. And so the people who get this letter and read, get down to... There were no verses at the time, but, you know, go with me on it. Get down to verse uh, 19 and say, I mean, verse 20, I declare in the sight of God, I'm not lying. Wow. He means this stuff. I mean, we would say, maybe wrongly, but what we would say is, I swear on a stack of Bibles, or on my parents' grave, or whatever we consider to be the, you know, pinky swear, um, uh, what, whatever it might be, that, that's, that's what he was doing. The most binding oath, he says, I am not lying to you. Everything uh, that I write is true. 
And now this is interesting for Paul because that he would use this imagery because later on he says in a different letter, Christians shouldn't take each other to court, right? Uh, he, so he's using court imagery, court terminology, because he didn't mind using examples and analogies of the day. Didn't bother him in the least to steal from uh, the, uh, the culture around him to pinky swear. Uh, didn't bother him at all to do that. It, you know, probably the most uh, egregious example of this is when he uses quotes from pagan poets to describe, in one case, folks from Crete, Cretans. You know, we use Cretans as a bad word. Well, they did too. I mean, if you were a Cretan, you weren't looked highly upon. And their own poets have said, he tells us in Acts, because and he turns around and uses something in their day that would get their attention. That's what he does here. I swear to you that I'm not lying, that I tell the truth, and he's he's kind of thrown this in the middle of his two proofs. Two proofs, y'all, I promise I'm not lying, two proofs. He's referring to all of the proofs from 1 verse 13 to chapter 2 verse 14. He's setting this up, he's giving us a little break here. In the, in the letter because you can just see the naysayers. You can see the people in church that Sunday when they whipped out that scroll. And, hey, y'all, we got a letter from Paul. And they start reading it. And he does his little introduction. And they're thinking, well, that doesn't sound very nice in the introduction. He's not, he, didn't, he didn't do all the stuff you're supposed to do when you're warm and friendly at the beginning of the letter. And, and then he uh, says that... Uh, I'm amazed that you're so quickly bewitched. You're falling away. And now they're getting really upset because he's, he's, well, he's preaching a tough sermon through this letter. And we know, we know churches would rather not have tough sermons preached. I know I don't like to preach them and try not to. Um, not even a giggle? All right. And then he gets to these two proofs and, and, and you can, now they're really upset. Well, that's not that the naysayers, not the whole church, but the naysayers. They're sitting there. He, they they read the first proof. Well, that's not true. You see them shaking their head and wagging their tongues. That's not true. And then the guy, the pastor of the church, reads the next proof. Wow, that's not true either. And then Paul, because Paul was smart, what with the whole Holy Spirit telling him what to write, says. I swear, I make an oath before God, I'm telling you the truth. And all those naysayers sitting there go, dead, dummy. So that's all they could do. He has taken the strongest oath he could and said, I promise, I'm telling you, this is the truth. The gospel I preach is the true gospel. And remember, that's where he's getting. That's what he's proving. We're spending a little time getting there, but that's what he's going to tell them. This gospel is the gospel. There's nothing more important than the accuracy of the gospel that I preach. He's going to make some bold statements. Or maybe he already has. Yeah, he made a huge statement in verse 8 of chapter 1. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel, don't believe it. Because this is the true gospel. It was important enough that he would take an oath that they recognized and say, you know what? You can sit there and you can wag your heads and wag your tongues, but I'm not lying to you. This is the gospel we need. 
Look at that. I told you we'd get out of here early. Any questions? I know these feel like, let me let me say this. I know these feel like odd breaks. There's, Michael, there's more. You're right. That's why we're coming back next Sunday night. Um, but, you know, we have to break somewhere, so it just makes sense to break here, even though it doesn't sound like he finished. He's not. He won't be finished until we get to the end of the letter. 20, 